As we come to our time of teaching this morning, we are coming to a passage, a rather long passage, that is going to illustrate for us the end of Abraham's life. We've been in a series where we have been going back and forth between the books of Genesis and the books of Romans. And what we find, and we're doing that, that when we look at the stories in Genesis and then we flip to Romans, which we've already looked at the first part and we're going to start to look at another part next week, that the New Testament writers, when they are explaining the good news about Jesus Christ, they actually do so through the lens of the Old Testament. They actually work out and explain their theology based on what God has done and what he has promised to those in the Old Testament. So what we find is that the stories in the Old Testament, they're not just stories that are entertaining, that are leading us to get to the good stuff, which is Jesus. But all of these stories in themselves are actually about Jesus. They're good news stories that are leading us to Jesus, that find their fulfillment in Jesus, and that are essentially about the good news in Jesus that God is working out throughout history. And that's the same with this passage this morning. We, this might seem like kind of random details that are just concluding um, Abraham's life, dealing with his death, dealing with finding a wife for his son Isaac. But these are not just random details that are just there for filler to satisfy our curiosity about what might happen. But these are essentially about the promises of Jesus Christ and especially these promises of land and a nation that God promised Abraham that are still in the balance as we come to the very end of Abraham's life. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, This is a very long passage, if you'll have noticed. Um, What you have in your worship folder is drastically cut down. I would encourage you, if you would like, and you have a Bible, you're welcome to read through. It is a really wonderful and rich passage. I wish I could just walk through the whole thing, but time would certainly not allow that. But if you would bear with me for a second as we read it, this is all important. And it brings out some really important themes. But the points that might seem a little bit choppy in the narrative, that's probably because of where I've had to make edits. And I think that it makes sense as it goes, but we'll see. But with that being said, this is God's word. The excerpts from Genesis 23 to Genesis 25, 18. And Sarah lived 127 years. And these were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat from me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah which he owns. It is at the end of his field, for the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. 
After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I might make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water to drink for your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. But when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please, tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household all these things. And then Laban, Laban, her brother, and Bethuel, her father, answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good or bad. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 170 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, 
the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. And there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And Isaac settled in Be'er Lahai Roi. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have really enjoyed reflecting on this passage this week. And it's because this is one of those passages in the Old Testament where, which often happens in the Old Testament, it just gets kind of real. Like, these are the kind of mundane details and life circumstances that we all have to face in one way or another. And especially, this story really, I think, vividly illustrates a kind of despair and problem in life that we all face. And that is resolution in this life is highly elusive. It doesn't come easily and quickly. That you arrive in one place and get good, and yet the challenge still exists. It's like the challenge keeps on coming and coming and coming. It is really difficult to get to a place of revolution of resolution where the bow is tied all neatly on life, and we're good to go from there on out. And this reminded me of a story that Lauren uh, has told me several times about her grandmother, who really, really loved cats. She was a very compassionate lady, lived out on a farm, and was the type that any stray cat that came in the neighborhood, especially the ones that were sick and downtrodden and uh, roaming the countryside, she would take in and just had a barn full of cats. I mean, there were like 20 cats or so roaming this barn. But there was one that she particular, was particularly fond of that was a stray. It was really ratty. But for some reason, she had taken a liking to this cat and really determined in herself that this cat was going to have a complete ending to its life. It was going to have neat resolution that was very different from the way it started. It started as a stray and it's going to end loved and cared for all the way to the end of its days. And so, much to the suspicion and not understanding of everybody else in her life, she took care of this cat. The cat got sick, and so she still loved it, and she took care of it, and she fed it, and it got a little bit better, and then the cat got sick again. And she devoted her time to it again. And it became clear eventually that this cat uh, had a terminal illness that it was not going to recover from. But despite that, she didn't give up. It was another challenge that she accepted. And she nursed this cat. I mean, she really devoted months of her life to taking care of this cat. And everybody around her was encouraging her to just give it up and let the cat go, but no, she was determined to see a good end of his life. Things kept going downhill, like it was not a sweet ending. Like it got more sick, it started to smell bad, like it was really difficult to take care of, but she would not give up. And finally, the cat eventually went the way, walked the path that all kitties must walk eventually, and it gave up. Sadly, It was in the middle of the wintertime, and the ground was too hard to dig a hole, and so she couldn't bury it, and she had to put it in the freezer in order to keep it until the spring when she could finally 
dig a hole and give it the resolution that she was determined for it to have. And I say that to be kind of shocking, but I just want you to step in that emotion of you ever just devoted your time to something and then it just never ends well. It's like every step you get trying to bring it to resolution, it just won't get there. There's just another setback and another setback and another setback. And like the cat, it just doesn't end with the pretty ending that you kind of expected that it would. Well, that's kind of the situation that Abraham is in here. If we follow Abraham's life, Abraham has been through many, many, many experiences with God. He has had ups and he's had downs. He has just had a climactic experience in Genesis 22 on the, on, when God asked him to offer up his son as a sacrifice and intervened in spectacular ways. He's God's chosen one that he has asked to go. And here he reaches the end of his life and he's still not done. Like his wife has died, he's in mourning and he has to still has to find a way to bury her. His faith is tested yet again. His son still doesn't have a wife. And so Abraham, like no matter what, he just doesn't arrive. Like his whole life to the very, very end, the resistance just keeps coming and coming and coming. The challenge just doesn't quit. And one way or another, then when life feels like that, I think this is a really good passage to go to and just take notice that this is not a foreign circumstance if this is the circumstance of your life, if it feels that way. But it is very much included, even in these characters and even in God's Word. Resolution is elusive. And this is especially the case in the life of faith. There are many ups and downs. You, make, you arrive somewhere, have a good experience, um, win something in a battle of sin, and it just, the challenge keeps on coming. So what... What I think this passage is doing is asking us to consider in the middle of this circumstance that we can relate to, what does faith look like? Um, And so we're going to go through this in three ways. We're going to look at the futility of faith first, and then we're going to look at the character of faith second, what does it look like, and then we're going to look at the source of faith third, and how do we get this kind of faith? So let's dive in. First, let's look at the futility of faith that this passage illustrates for us. I think when we consider it, the one thing that really stands out when we consider these stories and the themes that comes from them is that faith, as I said, it really doesn't bring much resolution. Now, I want to propose that it is actually a state of being that doesn't really change circumstances all that much, but that it is a way of approaching the circumstances themselves even in the midst of it. Um, And Abraham illustrates that quite vividly. And let's look. Just consider, as we walk through Abraham's life, what Abraham has already done. He has been called, he got called out of the middle of nowhere to the promised land um, to, on a journey with a promise to a new land and a promise to a new nation. And he has been blessed greatly by God. He has had the very special promise that he, through him, would come this land and would come this people that would end up being a blessing to all nations. So big, big, big promises that he made. 
And then as we've been tracing through the story of Abraham, we've seen this come repeated again and again and again and again. Like in chapter 15, God actually divides animals and walks through it, saying, let this be me if I break these promises. He reaffirms the promises. In chapter 17, he's given the sign of circumcision, which is another reaffirmation of his promise. There's this theme again and again and again and again that through Abraham, that God is going to bring him blessing. And we've seen little tastes of it. That Abraham, even through his own sin, has been greatly blessed by God and he's now really, really, really rich. He has a lot of animals, he has a lot of possessions, even so this Hittite community takes notice and they consider him a prince among them. He's been given victory through war and he's finally been given a son in old age in a very miraculous way. He's walked with God, he's been taught, taught by God, and even he's been tested by God. But all of these in Abraham's life, where is he here at the moment? He's in mourning, he's facing his wife's death, he's looking at his own death, and none of the promises that are promised him, have been promised him, have actually come about, and they're all very much hanging in the balance. I mean, he is living in the middle of occupied territory. If we were to follow, if you were to read this whole section in Genesis 23, 23, it is really long and fascinating. And what Abraham has to do in order to bury his wife is he has to enter in to occupied territory. He has to enter into their customs to play on their terms. And he kind of has to haggle with them. He has to be very clever and shrewd in the way he goes about it. Um, And he has to secure for himself a piece of land in a land that God has already promised to him. His life of faith, it didn't really get the people out of the land in his perspective. He didn't get it. It brought him more things to do and more challenge. It didn't bring resolution to his circumstances. In the same way with the promise of um, a nation. He's promised a nation will come to him that will be as numb numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And yet, he's faced with here, he finally had a kid miraculously in old age, and he had it, and now he's about to go on, but he only has one son that's an heir, and this son needs a wife, and so that he can have an heir. And that is not a circumstance that just stops even there. Like, his son is going to need a wife and more heirs, And this is going to have to grow. There are circumstances going beyond even Abraham's life that are going to have to come together in order for this promise to be fulfilled. And none of this amount of walking with God and experiencing this has really changed from what Abraham can see his life on the ground. It's still a slog. He still faces the obstacles in front of him that he's always faced. He's still living in occupied territory. He still has a walk of faith that is before him, even to his very days. That's kind of hard to swallow. Like faith, if we're in, and just for us, thinking about us, if we're in this for the results, to change circumstances, sometimes God really does, it is likely that you're going to be disappointed. The life of faith is a state of being, in a relationship with God, it is not something that just brings resolution and ties up the bows. Life often, it stays, and the hits often continue coming. 
Just to illustrate this, it reminded me, I watched a documentary um, called Psalm. Have any of you seen this documentary? It's really fascinating. It's about four guys that are training to be master sommeliers, which are wine experts in restaurants. And it is one of the most difficult exams in the world to go through. I mean, they, the amount of time and effort that they just dedicate 24-7, knowing all the types, tastings, regions, factoids, whatever, it was just tremendous. And most of them don't make it, even after doing this. But at the very end, one of the guys, he did it, and he passed the exam. I mean, it's like one of the achievements of his life. But his comment was fascinating. He's like, I did this. It's a good reward, it's a good title, but then I get out in the restaurants and people expect me to be a master sommelier. Like, it's not just a reward I can put on the shelf and then be done with and then relax. This was actually just the entrance into the community. It wasn't the resolution. He had to be a master sommelier all the time. And I just want this to just soak in these details and make this point that when we look at our lives, the life of faith, it doesn't really bring resolution in the, often in the ways that we can see. It often feels very, very futile. That they, no matter what point we reach, there's another challenge that is waiting along the way. And that is hard to swallow and it can be very discouraging. But what do we do with that? I think we have to ask that question here. Um, and this passage also, as it presents that to us, it gives us an opportunity from the outside to look at other people that are not ourselves to see how they handle this situation. And I do want to give a little bit of a caveat that we have to be very careful in using the characters of the Old Testament as examples. Because they're often not very good examples. They model behaviors that we should not model in themselves, and that's kind of the point. And there's also the issue that there are different passages that use the characters to make different points. But here, what we get is an opportunity in the face of a seeming futility at the end of Abraham's life and in the middle of struggle, we can look at these people and how they handled it in a ways that are commended to their faith. And we get a chance to look in and see what that looks like. Um, So that's point number two, the character of faith. What does it look like? And what do you do with this reality when the walk of faith seems futile? And that's this. There's three big characters in here, what they do. And what I want to, I think this passage illustrates for us and propose to you is that rather than be discouraged, rather than give up, and rather than leave it, they actually do the opposite of what you might expect And certainly of what would be easy. Rather than give up to the futility, they actually take action in very mundane and real life way in the grittiness and the details of life, knowing that this action could easily be undone after they're done. Let me show you what it looks like. So Abraham, he needs a place to bury his wife. He's a stranger in the land. He has great possession. He knows that God is going to give him this land eventually. But what he does is kind of absurd and very surprising. First, he enters into the Hittite world and he plays by their terms and he uses his brains 
to actually acquire something and spend a whole lot of money on something that has already been promised to him just as a little down payment. So he goes before these people and he uses the appeal of money in order to get a cave to bury his wife. If you'll notice that they actually offer him a place to bury Sarah as a gift. But the only problem with this is that in that culture, gifts could easily be taken back. And it was a very um, tenuous agreement. So Abraham very cleverly plots. He appeals to this guy who has the field, knowing that he has lots of money, that he would want to buy it for the full price. And he does this publicly, so everybody sees it. So there is no doubt later on the line that this land belongs to him. He uses his brains in the mundane real-life situation right in front of him to act very shrewdly based on what is already his. Which seems absurd. I mean, he could have just waited on the promise. He could have been frantic about it and worried about it. But no, all he does is he uses his circumstance in confidence, shrewdly, to get a little taste of this thing that is already his. And it's not just Abraham. If we are following the life of the servant, he does the very same thing. The servant, Abraham sends out in the second issue that he is, Abraham commissions him to get a wife for um, Isaac, Abraham's son, from Abraham's kindred, which is based on the promise that God is going to build a nation out of Abraham. He's not willing to compromise and to let him say, okay, we get this little plot of land, maybe that'll come, but you can slide on the, you know, the family part. We'll just let Isaac marry whoever he wants to. He says, no, God has promised a land and a nation from him. So Abraham sends a servant out, and what does the servant do? If you'll notice, just starting here in verse 10, in this whole section, he goes out, he takes a wealth of camels, kneels down by the water, and he devises this plan to find a woman for Abraham, for Isaac, that is over and above what he's asked for. Abraham asked to find a woman, for, woman from his kindred, so he says, I'm going to get one, but I'm going to devise a little plan. So he has a test that he's going to wait and see which woman is going to be willing to not only to water his camels, or water him herself, but that actually is going to take the time out of her hectic schedule that is going to be generous and hospitable to his wealth of camels, which is not likely something anybody's going to do. So the servant actually plots a way to do justice to his master based on the promises given to Abraham in very shrewd, mundane, real-life ways to actually get somebody better than he's even asked for. And then he goes about this, and if we were to the parts I skipped, he goes and he meets Rebecca, he sees that God is in this, and he goes to Laban's house, and he notices that Laban is very fascinated in all these camels, and it clues into him that he's really motivated by this wealth as well. And he uses that to his advantage to plot with his family to present that Rebecca should be able to go with him in order to be with Abraham to find a wife. You see what the servant does? He acts very shrewdly in mundane ways again. 
He doesn't just wait, but he takes action in the here and now. Not knowing what is going to happen, but based on the promises given to him, he acts. It doesn't matter what comes tomorrow. It doesn't come matter what comes later. He knows that he has been promised a nation and a land and a people, and he takes action based on that. And what this illustrates for us the character of faith, and this is what it feels like to us. When you experience the futility in life, you experience the futility of faith, the hits that keep coming and coming and coming, the easy thing to do is either to step back and say, God's got it. I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to sit back and do what I do, and it's all going to come together. Or we get nervous and we get frantic and we take matters into our own hands and we plot in order to provide for ourselves. You know what the hardest thing to do is? The hardest thing to do is to act in everyday ways, knowing that there's not a lot of resolution that's going to come from these actions. That's hard because that's discouraging. But that is what is illustrated for us what here what these people do. Based on a promise, they take action knowing what is coming to them, not knowing in what they see. That's what faith looks like. But I think that brings us to this last point and the crisis of this whole thing is how in the world can anybody do that? I mean, when you feel the futility, you feel the pro- the, that feeling of promises not coming to you, not being... No resolution coming, not getting what you've grasped. How can you at that point continue to take action in just everyday mun ways of faith? And that's this. Abraham was able to do this for one reason alone. And that is because he had walked with God. He had experienced God walking with him again and again and again and again. So his faith, his trust, was not in his own ability to stand up and to hold it together and to persevere to the end. His faith was in the object of his faith, not in his own faith in it. He was with God, and he had seen God act before. And he knew based on the object of his faith, that God was trustworthy for him. How did the Israelites who were reading this passage believe? Because they saw in this passage that God was invested in his promises to Abraham. The true actor in this behind the scenes, even though he's not mentioned very much, God works out some spectacular things. He causes the Hittites to actually be willing to pass with their land and gives Abraham this little down payment. He obviously finds a woman who is extremely beautiful, who has had been with no other man, who is from Abraham's closest kindred, exactly what is needed, and a woman of great character. He works all this out and lets her go. I mean, they see that God's investment is in this story continuing. And so as a person, an Israelite, to be able to know that if God is invested in the blessing to Abraham, even after his life, after he is gone, then he is invested in the same thing here for me. No matter what I see and no matter what comes.
But we know sitting in this room that the story is not just about that because that's not where the story ends. But this is a story that is leading us and finds us fulfillment, as we said, only in Jesus Christ. And this is the fantastic part. We read this passage in Hebrews 11 earlier, which I had you read, which illustrates the life of faith and commends Abraham for walking with God and acting in faith based on a promise that it was coming they did not see. But then it goes in chapter 12 and we see this in the first two verses. The writer of Hebrews, after all that, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This story in your faith is only perfected by Jesus. It is not perfected in your effort. It is not perfected in how good you are at hanging on to him. It is not perfected in how commendable you are before God. It is perfected because Jesus Christ came. And in the face of seeming futility, he walked the path. And he took action. And he took on the cross. He took on the shame that belongs to us. And he rose again. And he is now seated in power at the right hand of God. Just in that is the full picture of what the life of faith is for those that belong to him. It is not just in what is seen, but it is in that whole story of the Christ who came, Christ who died, Christ who rose again, and Christ who will come again one day. It is about Jesus. When you look at the futility in your life, it is not about that. It is about Jesus. And we are invited to look to him. And what does that mean for us? And just, these are a lot of big comment concepts just in your everyday life. That means all the things that we face. The depression that comes back. When you finally work hard and you find a place of peace and then it comes back again. And it seems futile to even do battle with it. Or that struggle with sin that you battle with and battle with and battle with and you think you've got there and then it just all comes crashing down and you fall again and you look at yourself in the mirror and you know, I don't even know who this person is anymore. It's that kind of discouragement. Or even things like Hope for Birmingham when we are looking for ways to go out into the city and explore ways to serve and explore the way that policies are in effect and all kinds of things like that. And knowing that the stuff there is bigger than we are and it easily can be undone just in a moment. Or when you hear things like, you know, the rate that young people are leaving the church and wondering whether that it will last, whether this will continue to the next generation and gen next generation and next generation. The promise here is that the perfecter of faith is not in us and is not in these things. It is in the one who is revealed the perfect one, the one who is eternal, the one who is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, the one who inherited all of the blessings that were meant for Abraham. And through him, he mediates that to his children. And whatever you feel like, those belong to you. And so the walk of faith, it is not a walk of perseverance in your own strength. 
but it is a walk of going about these everyday activities that seem futile and seem like they might be undone because Christ is on the throne. No matter what your life looks like and how discouraging that may be, Christ is still perfect and he is still on the throne and he is still there for you. Because of Christ, these endings like this that seem like futile endings are not really futile endings. But we are invited to look to that and to look to not ourselves, but the perfection and the hope that is in him, the eternal one. And from him to have hope to continue to run the race, continue to get up the next day and do whatever is in front of us. And that is a good hope indeed. Would you join with me and pray and ask that in the spirit he would help do that. Dear Father, we are humbled both by the challenge of the life that you have called us to, um, but also by the gift of Jesus. And those often seem very much in tension with each other, um, and they are difficult to connect. But I just ask, we ask together, I ask on behalf of everyone in this room, that in your spirit you would help us to do this. Help us in our darkest and deepest moments that we would look to Jesus and see him as the perfect source of our faith, the object that we can look to rather than how well we are doing. Wash us with the gospel and wash us with that hope that we might be a people that could run the race with perseverance and that hope might spill out even on those around us. But we look to you in faith and in hope and expectation that you will do that. In Jesus' name, amen.